so far. I don't know how long that'll last. And this is a great historic city. And earlier on today, I went out to Lincoln Castle to have a look around and to see one of only four copies of the Magna Carta in existence. Have a look, have a listen to this package. So today, Farage at Large comes to Lincoln, and where better to begin than Lincoln Castle, here since the time of William the Conqueror. We're about to have a guided tour. Come with me. Inside Lincoln Castle, unsurprisingly, is Lincoln Prison. This was built in mid-Victorian times, built to a very high spec, very high standard. I mean, not that I'd have wanted to have been in here. And here we have prison cell number 10. Many, of course, who think that a lot of people who've lived in number 10 actually ought to be in prison. Well, this for me is a bit of a treat because I'm about to go into the room where there is one of the four copies, original copies, of the Magna Carta, signed, of course, by King John in 1215. We're not allowed to film inside, which is understandable. I've never been able to see one of the original copies of the Magna Carta, so I'm actually quite excited about it. We're off now on the medieval wall walk. We'll see the cathedral, the city of Lincoln, and get the best view of Lincolnshire that exists. So we're up on the walls, it's a big walk all the way round, uh, terrific views out over Lincoln, as I said already. And yeah, you know, here we are, back in the country immediately after William the Conqueror comes and takes over. Well, that was great. So Magna Carta, that copy has been here in Lincoln since 1215 with a short break during World War II, where it found itself being looked after in Fort Knox for safety. We're up on the medieval walls. You can see the magnificent cathedral, great view out over the city, over the countryside. This isn't the only hill in the whole county of Lincolnshire. It's one of the few. But I'll tell you what, actually, as a place to come for a day out, it's terrific. Well, I have to say, I'm not working for the Lincolnshire Tourist Board, I promise you, but if you haven't been, it's a great place to come for a day out. Now, to matters of the current day. 
The news that's out today, Boris Johnson has announced that defence spending will increase between now and 2030 to 2.5% of GDP, something that was being called for very, very strongly by, not least of all, Ben Wallace, his own defence secretary. That is good. But there's other news out today that I find pretty shocking, and I say that because I'm here in Lincoln. It's one of those constituencies that goes back and forth between Labour and Conservative. It's been doing that for the last 50 years, but we're very much in a Brexit county. I think when you go out to the coast, you find 75% of some of the districts in Lincolnshire voted Brexit. Here in Lincoln City itself, 56% was the number. But one of the senses I got today, walking around Lincoln, was from people who said to me, look, we voted for Boris Johnson, we voted for Brexit, but we're not really getting back control of our borders, are we? I wasn't going out soliciting this. Members of the public were coming up and volunteering it. And is it any wonder? You know, over 250 people again yesterday crossed the English Channel. Another 100 crossed the English Channel this morning. But the really shocking statistic today is that deportations of foreign criminals have dropped to a new modern low. The reason is, of course, the ECHR and the Human Rights Act and lawyers stopping those deportations. There are now 11,300 foreign offenders currently living in communities in the United Kingdom who are due to be deported back to their original countries, but they're living out there in the community now. That, I think, is a shocking failure for a government that says it wanted to take back control. So my audience question tonight to you at home is, will Boris get a grip? Please let me know your thoughts, farage at gbnews.uk. Now, joining me is Carl McCartney, Conservative Member of Parliament for Lincoln. Thank you and welcome to Good to be here, thank you. Carl, you're a passionate Brexiteer, strong Boris Johnson supporter. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you say to those people that I met today, your constituents that I met today, you know, and they voted for you with great enthusiasm in 2019. You, you, you yourself have had a very up and down time here. You Indeed. Yeah. Stood and lost, stood and won, lost, won again. So it is very much a seesaw seat. But when you see 11,000 foreign criminals that haven't been deported, a big new government initiative today, Nigeria now. Nigeria will take our foreign criminals. I reckon there's about as much chance of that working as Rwanda taking people that cross the English Channel. What say you? Well, unfortunately, as you've already mentioned, I think the lawyers are having a bit of a field day, um, those left-leaning lawyers, shall we say. And ultimately, yes, it's the Prime Minister, but also Priti Patel, obviously, in the Home Office, um, have been trying desperately to obviously move things forward. Um, and I think that um, the British Bill of Rights, as it, as it comes forward, will, will help achieve that. Um, Do you? Do you yeah. really honestly and truthfully think that a British Bill of Rights, all the while we're still signed up to the European Convention on Human Rights and where the European Court in Strasbourg will still have supremacy over our law? It doesn't work, Carl, does it? Well, it's got to. We, you know, we said this but we've been hearing this ever since you won the election. We've been hearing from Priti Patel. You know, now we hear life sentences for traffickers. None of this works. The Rwanda policy you know, was thrown out to the country. This will be the solution. It's failed. And there's no good you and Boris blaming lefty lawyers. The truth of it is, seems to me, that if we really want to get back control of our borders, we have to leave the European Convention on Human Rights and complete Brexit. 
Perhaps I don't disagree with that, but going back to where you said it's you, failed... You, I, 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 you I, do I, agree with that? No, no I'm just about to say, I d I'm going to counter your saying it's failed. It's been delayed at this point in time. Delayed! And, and you and I don't both know why that is. And obviously, we're, we're not, we've not given up on Rwanda and, and sending people there on aeroplanes, and that, that will come forward, I'm sure. A lot of work has been done, the agreement's been signed, and it will happen. But yes, there's always going to be opposition. Should we stay... You, you know in politics, nothing happens overnight. Should we stay part of the ECHR, Carl McCartney? Not when we've got our own British Bill of Rights. Well, you're going to have to do a bit of um, pushing and jabbing Indeed. with Dominic Raab. And, Dominic Raab. And there's plenty of backbenchers who feel the same well, way. Well, well, you better do. No, look, you supported Boris Johnson in that confidence vote. What I see is a third of people who voted for Boris in 2019 now actively dislike him. I mean, they actually call him a liar. They're not going to vote for him again. If you stick with Boris Johnson, you're going to lose this seat, aren't you? No, I don't think so. One of the reasons I've got a 3,500 majority, the largest majority... In fact, if you had all my other majorities up, they still don't total 3,500. One of the reasons it's as large as it is is because of Boris and because we said we were going to get Brexit done. Which was, That was the first vote after I was re-elected in 2019, on the Friday after the election. But Boris um, was popular then. He's not now, is he? Well, I think he still is. It, you know, as popular as you may be in, in Lincoln High Street. Um, and he, well, I'm not the Prime Minister. Well, he, he is, and I'd like <laughs> to see him stay as the Prime Minister. And I, I want to I see him lead us into the next general election. Because actually, if I, if I was to put anybody from any side of politics in Lincoln High Street today, give it ten minutes, Boris Johnson would be surrounded by people who want to, you know, take a selfie with him, have his autograph. No, people like... No, 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 people we, we, like we, him. Do, that would happen for you, I'm sure. But, but a third... Who else with it within the realm but of politics? But a third of those charisma. voters... No, no, he's got charisma, he's got personality in his own very disorganised, astonishing way. But a third of Conservative voters now actively dislike him. That's the point I'm making. You've got to change leader, haven't you? Well, we're halfway through this Parliament. At this point in time, there will be various things that will happen. Obviously, we've had a pandemic for two years that obviously has, has perhaps delayed some of the things that we said we were going to do in our last manifesto. Mm. As we deliver those towards the next general election, I'm sure that popularity will be regained and that we'll see the polls you know, more in our favour than they are at currently at this point in time. Well, I shall look forward to Rwanda working, to Nigeria working. I shall look forward very much indeed to the British Bill of Rights working. Uh, Carl, I love your confidence. I just won't be holding my breath, that's all. But I thank you for joining me here today at GB News. Thank you very thank much. You. Now, Lincoln isn't just a, a good destination and a famous place for what happened back in the times of medieval England. Something happened here in the early 20th century, of which the people of Lincoln are inordinately proud, and so they should be. This was the birthplace of the tank. And I went down earlier on today to see the tank memorial, the Lincoln memorial, that was built to the tank, and it was put up here in the city in 2015. But it isn't just medieval history. There's something else here in Lincoln that's very, very special. Being the agricultural place that it was, engineering was a big thing here. The development of tractors, agricultural machines, and that led, in 1915, to a very, very important development. It was the engineers in Lincoln that pioneered the tank, the weapon, of course, which in the end won us the First World War. And if you come here to the middle of Lincoln, in the middle of this big roundabout, you'll see the history of how tanks were made, the engineers behind it, the men, the women that worked at this magnificent memorial. And this is a Mark IV tank. This was the tank that was used, first used at the Battle of the Somme in 1916, used with huge effects by the end of the war. And what I like about this is it shows women at work. 
the big and terrible things happened in the First World War, but the advancement of women going out, earning wages. Um, I really think it is a very fitting, very amazing memorial. Well, I'm joined by Jonathan Doog, who's chairman of the Western Front Association for Lincolnshire and North Lincolnshire. Jonathan, uh, tomorrow is the 1st of July. It's a date that years ago was a big day in the diary. It's the anniversary of the first day of the Battle of the Somme, 58,000 British casualties. And there were people from Lincolnshire involved, weren't there, on that day? Oh, very much so, Nigel. It's uh, the most bloodiest day in the history of the British Army, even to this day. And... The resonance of the 1st of July is that it was really the first time that the Kitchener volunteers, um, the lads who had responded to Lord Kitchener's, you know, your country... Civilians, basically. Exactly. Lads yeah. who had been civilians not much more than a year before um, went into battle on that morning and, uh, as you say, some 58,000 British soldiers became casualties in one day. And... Um, you, many people have heard of the so-called Powell's Battalions, the lads that joined up from communities and factories. And Lincolnshire's own uh, Powell's Battalion was the 10th Battalion of the County Regiment, and they were known as the Grimsby Chums. And they went into action um, at a place called La Boisselle on the Somme, where a huge mine was detonated at just before 7.30 in the morning. And then there was a great rush to try to occupy that mine crater before the Germans could get there. And of about 850 lads of the Grimsby chums that went into action that morning, uh, two-thirds of them were casualties within the first hour or so. Yeah, as I say, it doesn't have the same resonance because it slipped beyond the edge of living memory, but we certainly shouldn't forget it, and I know that's what you and the Western Front Association do. Now, the tank, this project, this, the landship project mm. as it originally was, how is it that it was Lincoln that became the birthplace of this machine, which arguably gave us victory and brought an end to the war? Uh, yes, um... As early as the spring of 1915, the year before the Somme, the British found that with a sufficient weight of artillery bombardment, they could break into the German front line. But what they didn't have was the strength or the, the, the tools to break through and into the open country beyond. So the Germans were very good at counter-attacking. So by the time you'd broken into the German first line of defences, and we're not talking about single lines of trenches. You know, as the war went on, the German defences were up to three, four miles uh, deep. There were acres of barbed wire entanglements. So what was required was a tool to not only break into the German defences, but eventually to break through them. And that is where the tank came in. And although the tank is very much associated with the army, it was actually a naval idea. Uh, the, the sort of man behind it, as ever, is Winston Churchill, who was first Lord of the Admiralty. Yeah. And um, the first designs for the tanks, why the, the, the body of a tank is known as a hull, uh, and so on, because it was all naval terminology. And um, William Foster and co... Um, were already building tracked agricultural vehicles. Because it's Lincolnshire. Be because it's Lincolnshire, big agricultural county, and so yeah. the, the sort of knowledge was here in the city. And um, William Tritton, who at the time was managing director of Foster's, and a chap called uh, Walter Wilson, who was lieutenant uh, given a, a rank, he had actually been in the Navy pre-war. Uh, he was uh, the designer, and um, it was such a secret project that they were ensconced in a, in a small room which you can still go and visit today in the White Hart Hotel up on the Bale near, um, near Lincoln Cathedral and the first tanks were designed there tested on the Common in Lincoln and the Mark I tank the one that had the two steering wheels on the back which uh, yeah. made them very unreliable originally it was that first Mark I Lincoln built tank that went into action on the Somme in September of 1916 
I tell you what, it's a fantastic story, Jonathan. I know Lincoln as a city is immensely proud of it, and thank you for coming and sharing that story with no, us. Thank, thank you, you very much. My now, in a moment, in a moment, we will talk agriculture. 30% of all the vegetables produced in our country come from Lincolnshire. But there are huge conflicts. What is government policy post us leaving the common agricultural policy? Are we going to rewild, as some seem to want, like Mrs Johnson, or are we going to actually produce the food that we need? I'll examine all of that in just a moment. Coming up on The Mark Stein Show, as Prince Charles apologises for slavery to the Commonwealth, renowned historian David Starkey returns to help us revise the revisionists. After the Prime Minister blamed Putin's toxic masculinity for invading Ukraine, broadcaster and former Page 3 girl Leilani Dowding asks, what is a man? Plus, continuing in the pursuit for justice, we are joined by Kiara Bird, a victim of Trudeau's vaccine regime. All that and more on The Mark Stein Show, tonight from 8 o'clock. And I'm joined by George Blanchard, owner of Bothorpe Park Farm in South Lincolnshire. George, welcome to the programme. Now, <laughs> generations of you, Blanchards, have been farming here in Lincolnshire and you've farmed meat and you've done cereal and you've done root vegetables and you've been very adaptable and all the rest of it. We've left the common agricultural policy. We're now in charge of our own agricultural policy... Uh, do you know where the government's going with this? Because at the last Conservative conference, Johnson said that up to 30% of our agricultural land would be rewilded. Build back beaver, I think is what he said. I mean, I know that's just nonsense in all my life, but there we are. Um, but now we're saying, oh my goodness me, with Ukraine, there's all this grain stuck in Odessa, food prices going through the roof, affecting every family in the land, and disproportionately, of course, hurting those on the lowest incomes. So do you know where policy is? Are you now being encouraged to grow as much as you can or not? Uh, we still don't really know. There is uh, an Elms... Uh which is going to be the new agreement taken over from uh, what was BPS when that ends. Um, but we still we still don't know. There seems to have now, in the last week or so, uh, been a ramping up of a, uh, a food and, uh, you know, uh, productivity uh, in, in agriculture to ensure that we've got enough, enough food going forwards. But that is off the back of... But you literally don't know what government policy is? No, not, not currently, no. Dear, oh dear, oh dear, that is not good. One other big conflict that I'm sensing here in Lincolnshire and perhaps around the country is this is great desire to have as much renewable energy as we possibly can. And, of course, in terms of farming, that means solar panels. How much of an issue is that in this county? Yeah, there's quite a few big projects uh, being proposed in this county currently. Um, obviously, it's getting a lot of, uh, a lot of opposition, probably quite rightly so. Um, sites that started off with a very small area that was probably unproductive um, have then seemed to have grown. 
Um, the issue is we've been being told by government for years now that we need to diversify and do something different, and mm. food has always come down at the bottom of the agenda. And, uh, and I think, really, it needs to go back up to the top of the agenda with everything happening in Ukraine. But there's good money in solar panels, isn't there? Well, at the moment, the market is so volatile. Um, as you said earlier, farms have been in... Uh, in in families for generations, yeah. and nobody wants to be the generation that loses it. So if you can uh, fix down uh, an income for the next 20, 30 years, you're going to go for it and take that. You're not getting EU subsidy anymore, but you are being paid money to manage land and look over biodiversity and the environment. Just tell us, George, in a word, in a sentence, what is it you want to see us do with our agricultural policy now that we are actually in charge? Uh, I want to see, the, uh, see us being backed... Uh, by government through good and bad because ultimately farming is, uh, isn't just a tap you can turn on and off and it does have its peaks and troughs and we need to know and have the confidence that when it does drop and it is in a trough that uh, the government is going to back us and, uh, and help us out of it. All right, well, George, please do your best to um, find out by pushing the government as to what the policy is and when you do find out, come back on here and tell us because no-one seems to know. George Blanchard, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Amanda Holden, my what the Farage moment for today, or at least one of them, is Amanda Holden. And she has said she likes getting compliments from builders on building sites, such as wolf whistles. Even if it's sexist, she doesn't care, she thoroughly enjoys it, and she hopes she's going to be wolf-whistled well into her 70s. Don't know what you think, but I think good for you, Amanda Holden. <laughs> Another What the Farage moment, this just... I mean, I don't know. Well, I've, I've got to use good language We're before the watershed. But the Home Office is continuing its push for compulsory pronouns for all civil servants. In a new email sent today to all customer services staff, those working in all departments, they're saying that it's very, very important that their preferred pronouns are used on their email signatures. This is an important step towards inclusivity in the workplace. Well, there you are. There you are. Let us move on to Barrage the Farage, where I get my chance. You get your chance to ask me questions. All I get is a Christian name, and you can fire any question you want at me. Beginning, Mark, with you. Good evening, Nigel. We're 25 metres from the Ermine Street at the moment. It's an original route from London up through Lincolnshire to York. What's your opinion on what's happening with transport vis-a-vis -vis the route of the original East Coast Main Line being upgraded. HS2 is even further away, 30 miles away from Lincolnshire. Mm. And the fact that the M11 was going to come up through Lincolnshire to the Humber Bridge, and it never happened. Yeah, Mark, uh, good points. Quickly, HS2, total waste of time and money. Exactly. What on earth are we doing wasting up to £150 billion on that? We could spend on other infrastructure projects to benefit tens of millions of people. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say, um, I suspect we're 25 yards away from the Roman road, not metres, exactly. personally, yeah. but that's just a personal <laughs> thing. Um, if we go back there... <laughs> uh, look, the truth of it is that Lincolnshire's a lovely county. I've been here so many times over the years. It is a complete and utter nightmare to navigate. Exactly. Just a nightmare to navigate. You all know that in this room. And, yes, at very least, an M11 extension 
coming right up through the east of England, up to the Humber, that would be an absolute minimum, I would say. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. It would have... The, the hot spot that ends at Cambridge would have carried on further up into Lincolnshire. Yeah. And it would be easy for all the trucks that take all the salads and vegetables that are produced in South Links to get down to the capital and the rest of the country yeah. and the ports, the channel ports. Yeah, it's much needed. Mark, exactly. thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Next up, next up is Nick. Hello, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nigel. Um, uh, do you think it's time to remove the Barnet formula from Scotland to prepare it for it leaving the Union? Uh, last year, it was uh, £33 billion. Pounds, um, and obviously, we take off their income tax receipts and their stamp duty uh, contributions. Uh, and that will probably come out, I estimate, around about £25 billion pounds extra they get in Scotland for yeah, I mean, the truth is we do spend more per capita in Scotland than we spend in England. Um, the same could be said of Northern Ireland and Wales as well, but it's Scotland that's pertinent and relevant here. Um, I don't know about you, I'm bored to death with Nicola Sturgeon constantly going on about this referendum. Yeah. It's not a referendum, it's a neverendum. Um, I suspect there's a growing number in this room actually would probably be happy to see Scotland go. I do yeah. get the sense of that. Let's have a national you know, referendum. You know, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I want the union to stay. I want it to survive. I think the real answer is Barnet must be reinvestigated. It's just, just not fair on the English taxpayer. No. But I also think, at some point, probably what Boris, if he's still there, but at some point, the Prime Minister of the country ought to call their bluff. Yeah. Ought to call their bluff, have that referendum, they'd lose again, and maybe that would be the end of Nicola Sturgeon. That would cheer me up no end, I can tell you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs> Okay. Next, we have Matthew. Evening, Nigel. And for the viewing public at home, I should declare I'm a local Conservative councillor in Lincoln um, for Moreland Ward as well. Thank My you, question Chinese. is about housing. So, for over two decades, house prices have risen far quicker than salaries. House building and increasing supply has also not kept up with the increased demand as the population grows. Mm. Demand-orientated policies have failed to redress this issue, and I feel that there needs to be a much more supply-orientated solution to these problems. But what I want to know, Nigel, is what you think we should do. Well, had it not been for your Conservative government for the last 12 years, <laughs> um, continuing with net migration policies that now are exceeding what they even were in Tony Blair's time, and if your population is rising, if you have to build a new dwelling every four minutes just to cope with the increased population due to immigration, you have got a massive problem on your hands. I, part of the Brexit promise was we would get a grip on our borders and reduce the sheer numbers of people coming into the country, and that in turn would make getting houses, access to GP services, a little bit easier. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say, there is no question that we are going to have to build a lot more houses. And as somebody who is much more of a country boy at heart than a townie, that pains me. But it's just going to have to happen. Otherwise, we have a society in which young people cannot aspire to the things their parents and grandparents and generations before them had. Um, I will just say one last thing on this, which is there are a million people, one million people, on the social housing waiting list, and for them to see us spending five million quid a day on hotels 
for people that have crossed the English Channel is an absolute affront. And that's why I really entitled this whole programme, you know, Will Boris get a grip? He needs to get a grip of these issues, otherwise your party is going to be toast at the next election. Thank you for your question. Right. Hannah. Good evening, Nigel. Good evening. On the topic of monarchy, which British monarchs do you admire and why? Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, is, I just, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, 70 years uh, without any scandal uh, from her, um, not so much the kids. Um, <laughs> and she's been wonderful. But, of course, my favourite has to be, has to be, the first Brexiteer. The first Brexiteer was Henry VIII. It was, it, was, it was the break from Rome that actually led directly to the greatness of England. So Henry VIII, I have to say, is my favourite monarch. Thank you, Nigel. What's yours? It's George III. George III. I'm currently reading his wonderful biography by Andrew Roberts. Yep. And he had to put up with, with quite a lot going on in his reign, which was nearly as long as our good yes. queen's. Yes, But also, interestingly, his son seems to be maybe on par with some of our current children. <laughs> he was caught vomiting outside um, in public regularly. He um, threatened to kill himself just to secure a marriage proposal and kept demanding more money, and he was over £200,000 in debt, which is millions in this money. Um, well, we have had our problems in the past with the royal family, but George III, I put back to you, Hannah, he did lose America, didn't he? Yes, that was part or of Or was it. that a good thing? Still hard, hard to know, but that was quite hard at the time for him. But there were so many other achievements and things that he worked through as well. Interesting. It's, it's not a popular view. I haven't read the book. I have read other books by Andrew Roberts. And do you know what? I will read the book, and thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Nigel. And last up on this segment is another Nigel. It must be difficult having Hello. that name these days. Yes, good evening, Nigel. Good I think evening. we're a dying breed. Yeah. Um, do you think Boris will call a snap election as a last throw of the dice? Right. Before I answer that, can I get an immediate audience reaction? Would you like to see a general election this September? Yes or no? Who thinks yes? Yeah, OK. Overwhelmingly no. As, Bre as Brenda from Bristol famously said on that TV clip, oh, no, not another one. <laughs> Let me say this to you. If Starmer was to get a ticket from the Durham police, I doubt he will. I mean, Cummings didn't. Although, he was testing his eyesight, wasn't he, by driving through it? Yes. Perfectly reasonable, I'm sure. If Starmer was to get a ticket, the Labour Party would be in chaos... They would have a long leadership process to go through. And it's against that background that the rumour of a September general election is being talked about. Even if they were the circumstances, I think the public would say this. I think the public would say, we don't need a general election. You are halfway through. You have a whole host of promises that you made that you must deliver. And if you call this election, Mr Johnson, you're doing it for your benefit and not for the benefit of the country, and I think if they did it, it would be a disaster for them. That's my view. What do you think, okay. Nigel? Well, I'm politically homeless at the moment. I voted Labour all my life. Yes. But following uh, Keir Starmer, all that he tried to do to undo the result of the referendum, obviously I'm not going to be voting Labour anytime soon. Um, I've never voted Conservative, 
Uh, my dad would turn in his grave. Um, so you need to make a comeback, I think. Okay. In a moment, it's going to be Talking Pints. I'll be joined by Martin Daniels, star TV presenter, comedian, entertainer, and, of course, formerly a presenter on BBC Radio Lincolnshire. All of that in just two minutes' time. My favourite part of the show, it's Talking Pints. I'm delighted that Martin Daniels has joined me. Yes. Welcome to GB News. Very good to see you. Oh, that's better, isn't it? First of the day. <laughs> well, um, no, I can't say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nearly. No, not quite. Martin, it must be a family trait, mustn't it? TV entertainer, magician, entertainer. First thing I wanted to ask you... When you got a dad who was as famous as, you, as, as, as yours was, was it, was it not very difficult to try and sort of fit into those feet? hundred uh, percent, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when I first started out, I was doing a, a venue somewhere down south, I can't remember. I was about 18, I think, and I, I turned up at this, this club. And as I walked in, there was a, a poster in the door, and uh, the poster read, uh, Tonight, introducing in cabaret, Paul Daniels' son. <laughs> I didn't even get a name check. <laughs> I wasn't even on the poster, so I, 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 I was, I was saying, very young, but I just thought, that's not right. It, it's, yeah. it's not fair on, on him, it's not fair on me, it's not fair on the, on the people. So I decided to... I took a deep breath and, uh, and I got in my car and drove home. And uh, I had to wait till Monday morning, because before mobile phones, and I rang my agent at the time and said, oh, I didn't do the show last night. Uh, and this is the reason why. Uh, he said, oh, I already know. He said, I've had the news of the world on. Yes, uh, yes. Chasing it up. Uh, and then they rang me and said, we're going to do this story about how you and your dad don't get on. Uh, and I said, no, no. I said, I just wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet, you know, and try to put, put my point of view across. Yeah. Uh, and he said, oh, well, it's too late now. The story's already written. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go with it on Sunday. So... But it was great for, for an unknown... Good publicity. Double-page spread yes. on the News of the World. Yes. And they decided to... Yeah, and not all double-page spreads on the News of the World were good news, were they? No, they? certainly <laughs> not. No, no, no. But uh, he, he talked to me again and said, actually, he said, we'll do another story next week and we'll do it from your point of view. So I got another double-page spread in Brilliant. the News of the World that was done from my point of view. And then my agent rang and said, oh, this venue, they want to book you back. And so I, I turned up and he said, I'll come with you just in case there's any, any trouble. We got there, the car park was rammed. There was twice as many people as in there as, as was originally there. Uh, and when I was introduced to the audience, it's the first time I'd got a cheer for, uh, for walking on, but it was the tension that had built up because of the, the backstory. Uh, and I hadn't prepared anything, but I, I walked on stage, and then there was the silence, and I think that's, that's what got to me, because they were all, what's, what's he going to say, what's he going to say? Uh, and so I started the show by saying, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Paul Danielson. 
uh, just to, to, to bury the hatchet and try to get away with it. But I thought that it would go away, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it never did, even when I, had my own, I got my own TV show um, back, in the, back in the 80s. Uh, it was in colour. Yeah, well, well done, you. <laughs> but uh, even then, you know, when I was on every week uh, back in the day, uh, they would still write Martin, brackets, son of... So you or, never got away brackets, from it? No. No, well, that must have been hard, but hey... It was just because he was so such a huge star. He, the, no, he was. Ages. No, he really, really was. But you, I mean, at a relatively young age, you know, there you were helping to present Game for a Laugh. Yeah. I mean, you're in your early 20s... It's Jeremy Beadle, it's... I mean, just think back to those days of television. I mean, how many people were watching that? Oh, gosh, we were getting uh, 18 million viewers I mean, every week. 18 million. You know, what would anybody give for, for 18 million yeah. viewers now? And there was no internet and no cable and... No. Uh, I think there was four channels. And uh, I tried to explain to, to my kids, I think, when, uh, when England were playing Italy in the Euros final... final. Um, I think there was something like 22 million people watched it. And I said, the country came to a standstill to watch this, this game. I said, there's only 4 million more than we were getting week after week after week yeah. in, in the time. So television, the country would stop for certain, certain shows. So you did lots of telly all through that period of time. Yes. What was Jeremy Beadle like to work with? Um, superb. Uh, he played the... Uh, he knew his role. He was the, the pantomime villain. Uh, and, he, and he played up to, up to that. But a real-life, genuinely lovely, lovely man uh, gave me some great advice. Because the show was already his. Yeah. Uh, they'd already done a couple of series of it, uh, and then they had a, a, a cast change. So he was the only one that had stayed. And so uh, we three that joined, we were joining his show, and there was no sort of animosity about, you know, I've got to hang on to the headlines. He was so generous and so... You know, encouraging to us to, to, to go for it. Love you've that. done, I think about your career, you've done telly and, you know, you've done. Those were the you days. Know, but, but, well, but you like, you also like the stage. Yes. You know, panto and all those sort of things. Yeah, great. I'm just up the road this year, um, up the, the Ermin Way, um, up in Grimsby. Which is 25 yards away from where we are. 25 yards, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, up there in, uh, in Grimsby Auditorium doing, uh, what are we doing this year? Um, Sleeping Beauty and the Whinging Wicked Witch. Very good. I always say it's, it's, it's different shows. Uh, same show, different frock. <laughs> and you've done, but you like doing comedy, you like doing, you like doing magic, of course. I do a bit. I mean, you're an all-round entertainer. What do you really enjoy doing? Uh, probably the comedy aspect of it. Um, my sort of hour-long show is probably about 35 minutes of, uh, of comedy. And uh, then audience participation and a, and, a, and a bit of magic. But comedy's tough now, isn't it? Oh, you, I mean, what can you tell jokes about without uh, causing offence? Well... Without getting arrested? You can... Yeah, you could say good evening and somebody would get... <laughs> uh, it, is, it is so, so hard now. Uh, people say to me, how often do you change your show? I mean, I try to change it every night because I talk to the audience uh, and bounce off them and it's sort of you know, mickey-taking, you know, it's... Banter, which is almost a scary word yeah, nowadays. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so you want to take the mick and poke fun at people or poke things with a stick. And is that, is that me that's making that? I don't think so, but, but if it is, just keep going anyway. Go for that. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. I had somebody uh, come up to me uh, not so long ago, actually, and he'd been on stage with me the night before. And 
I was on a on a, a cruise ship, and so you live with your audience there for a few days after your after your show. And he came up to me. He said, "Oh, I'm glad I've seen you." He said, "I was on stage with you last night. I thoroughly enjoyed it. My wife, kids, we all had a great laugh. It's made our holiday." I said, "Oh, I'm glad you've enjoyed it." Uh, he said, "Yeah." He said, "Because there's a lady just come up to me and said you were the gentleman on stage last night with uh, Martin Daniels." Uh, I just want you to know, I've, I've been and complained on your behalf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, I, mean, I give in. But it is difficult, isn't it? For sure, for sure. What, you, what, I mean, do you have to really think your content through now carefully? Yes, yes. Um, but sometimes when you, you say things off the spur of the moment, off, off the cuff, um, I, uh, there was a, a, a fellow, I was on stage the other night, and a fellow, uh, somebody walked in late right across the front, and the guy had no hair. Uh, so it's perfect for you. So I just I said something about, oh look at him, you know, he spent all day doing his hair, then forgot to bring it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then I I then read the next day in in the paper that uh, doing a bald joke now constitutes sexual harassment. No, there you are. Uh, what a terrible person you are, Daniel. I, well, I, <laughs> I mean, people thought I was shocking until you came on this I'm, show. I'm a controversial, <laughs> nasty piece of work. It really is difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Now, got to talk to you about Martin. Lincolnshire. So yes. you weren't from here, but you came here nearly 25 years ago. You're still here. What is, yeah. it, what is it about Lincolnshire that you like? I've been here for 24 years. Yep. Uh, and when I first moved, the locals said to me, don't worry, it's the first 25 years that's difficult. <laughs> uh, so I've only got one more year left to, uh, to be accepted. But, uh, no, I found it very accepting. Uh, I came here um, doing... I did seven pantomimes at the Theatre Royal in, in Lincoln. And, uh, and I just fell in love with the place and thought it'd be nice. And then I, I got married and was about to have children. And, and I thought I would rather be married with children here... Yeah than as I was then living in, in West London. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with living... I lived in Kensington, which was, uh, which was fabulous, so I sold up there and, uh, and, and bought a nice place here in Lincolnshire. What would that house in Kensington be worth now? Oh... <laughs> about five or six million. <laughs> yeah, probably and, right. And maybe it's a little bit more. But it's been, a great, it's been a good place to bring up family. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I'd kept my house, but... Uh, I did well on the sale, but then the divorce lawyers balanced it all out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. We had Jim Davison on the other week, and he, he, he all about he's that, had four divorces. I always I think, think. We, we split the house 50 50. Um, she got the inside, I got the outside. <laughs> <laughs> it, was all, it was all fair. <laughs> and whilst you've been here in Lincolnshire, you spent many years involved with BBC Radio Lincolnshire. Yes. Uh, I, I, I was very lucky in that uh, I managed to, to uh, get a job with, uh, with the BBC Radio Lincolnshire when, when my kids were at, uh, at primary school. Uh, and so it kind of took me off the road. It, 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 you know, I stopped touring uh, and travelling on, on cruises, that sort of thing. So uh, first couple of years I was on in the, in the morning, so yeah. I would get up early and, and be gone uh, before they went to school. But I was always there to pick them up from school. And then a couple of years later, I moved into the afternoon slot. And so I was able to take them to school in the mornings and, and, and give them a, a, a normal life, if there is such a thing. Yeah, nice. And that, that connection, that connection with local radio... Yeah. With... I think local radio is very important. Uh, I really do. Um, there's a, a, a lot of people poo-poo it and, and it, it, it's getting... A, it's, all local radio stations are having a hard time with, uh, with funding at the moment. And uh, 
but I, I do think that local radio plays a very important part in people's lives. Yeah, it matters to people, doesn't it? It matters to people a very, very great deal. And, and that relationship on radio is very personal with the listener, isn't it? Yes, because television is something that's in the corner of the, of the room. And radio is, is in your head. Radio is like a voice in, in, in your head. It is immensely personal. And, uh, and day-to-day, you know, people... St- it was years ago that I, I, I left there and, and people still... Uh, talk to me about uh, about my kids when they were at school and the things that they did that they remembered me talking about when I, when I was on air. Because it really matters, yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you, you're not just on telly right now because, of course, GB News is there on digital radio. On radio. And it works, and it <laughs> works, and no, and it works. And obviously... For us, it's a challenge, because you can't just say, look at this, you've got to say, look at this and listen to this, but it does seem to work. Just a final thought um, on, on, on all the things that you've done, Martin. Cruises, you've been on the cruise ships doing that. Isn't that very difficult? I mean, you're stuck, as you said earlier, you're stuck with the audience. Well, not, not, not stuck here. I mean, <laughs> I mean what, what happens? Yeah. How do you, I mean, you, you, you go for breakfast and they come, and say, they, they come and say it was great or it was awful. Uh, yes, yes. Um... <laughs> They can say that. Um, I was... Uh, uh, I can't remember where I was, but I'd done my show the night before and there was a, a bus taking people from the port into the, the, the town centre uh, and I was sat reading my, my book and behind me I heard a, a fellow in the seat say, ''Did you see the show last night?'' And you think, ''Oh, no, uh, here we go.'' Uh, and the guy went, ''Yeah,'' he said, uh, he said, ''Did you like him?'' And I still don't understand the, the, the answer. He said, ''Yeah,'' he said, ''He was all right.'' So long as you like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that was a compliment. Or I've never been able to work it out. On that note, Martin, thank you for joining me on Talking Minds. Now. So this Farage at Large, we take this show out round the country, and the reason's very simple. It is that we are the people's channel. We're not just stuck. We're not just stuck in there in London. We want to get out and have real audiences. And I have to say, I think it's been working. The audiences, I think, are enjoying it. Are you enjoying it? All right. I admit it, we paid them to say it, but, hey, it worked. We will be, next Thursday evening, in Redcar. We'll be in Redcar doing this kind of format of a show. Please, if you want to come, gbnews.uk. Please go there. Now, in the House of Commons, earlier this week, there was a funny moment. I never thought Dominic Raab had it in him to be funny. But there was a funny moment, wasn't there, when he winked across the dispatch box at Angela Rayner. It really was quite something. And I thought, well, it might be appropriate for Marty Clark, our singer, who's with us today, he comes from North Lincolnshire, to sing, can't take my eyes off of you. Take it away, Marty. You're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. You be like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true I can't take my eyes off of you Pardon the way that I stand There's nothing else to compare 
The sight of you leaves me weak And there are no words left to speak And if you feel like I feel Please let me know that it's real Cause you're just too good to be true I can't take my eyes off of you Those lonely nights I love you, baby Trust in me when I say Oh, pretty baby Don't bring me down, I pray Oh, pretty baby Now that I've found you, stay Let me love you Trust in me when I say Let me love you, baby Let me love 